So I'm going to start out by saying it's been a challenge. <laughs> like, it's been really, really hard. In the moment while I was sick, it was definitely hard for people to recognize that what I was going through was real. Because on the surface, I look fine. Especially on social media, because I intentionally, I think we all do this, intentionally on social media, try to make it all look pretty, <laughs> you know? I tried to, you know, it made my mental health journey look as appeasing and, you know, social media friendly as possible. But it was an ugly journey. It was dark. And I think it, it, it's definitely been hard for a lot of people to actually understand that it's real. But I'm no longer obsessed with the scale. I'm no longer obsessed with having a six pack. My goal is to be the healthiest version of me that I can be and to learn to love myself where I'm at today so that if I ever do lose weight again, I'll be able to love myself at that point as well. Hello, everybody. Today is Wednesday, June 24th. Happy Wednesday for me, Friday for you. I'm actually really excited to be recording today. I feel like the first couple episodes I was the most nervous for. I scripted a couple things. I feel like the script was like my training wheels just so I could get things rolling and feel comfortable. But I've been like kind of nervous, I guess, recording the past few episodes. And I think today I'm really excited and honestly feel a lot better without a script. So I'm really happy to be sitting down and talking to you guys today. And I think I'm also really excited because I have an interview for you. Today I am talking to Desiree Claiborne and this is a wonderful woman that I met through Instagram. So recently I have been all over the mental health and mental health quotes hashtag. I just love reposting inspirational quotes, reading them myself, reposting them and then having people message me and be like, oh my gosh, I really needed this today. And I specifically found one of Desiree's posts in the mental health hashtag. It was a collage of her and it said what you see and it was a picture of her on the left. And then it said what you don't see and it was a picture of her on the right. And it was labeled bipolar disorder. And on the left side with the what you see, there were no labels. It was just like a regular mirror picture, like that's what you see. But then on the right side of the collage, under what you don't see, there are little words. It says anxiety, mania, suicide attempts, crippling depression, delusions, risky behavior, overspending, insomnia, intrusive thoughts. Desiree says, behind every smile, there's a story. Behind every Instagram post, there's a real life. Behind every success, there's a thousand failures. Behind every strong woman, there's her truth. This is mine. I love this collage. I love the idea of it. I love the message behind it. I was just like, this is somebody that I want to follow. And that is how I've been building the people that I follow recently. I just want to put that out there and encourage everybody else to be very conscious about who they are following. It's okay to unfollow people. It's okay to block people. It's okay to mute people. And I feel like when you do that, you give your mind and yourself more space. You clear out people that you know that you probably shouldn't be following anyway and you know that they're not having the best impact on your mental health and then that way you can invite in more people that you actually will get a positive impact from. I was like Desiree is someone that I definitely want to follow and I just scrolled through her page more and I was like this is somebody that I would really like to interview on my podcast. So I messaged her, we had a little chit chat, honestly nothing in depth and now I'm interviewing her today. So I did ask Desiree 
what does the phrase say yes to you mean to you? I just left it open-ended to her. I was like, when you hear the phrase say yes to you, what does that mean to you? What is the kind of story that you would like to tell? I had my own ideas, but I didn't want to be like, hey, Desiree, let's do say yes to blah, 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 and you talk about this topic because I think that's best. Like, that's the thing. Like, I look at people and I'm like, everybody has a story. Everybody said yes to something. Everybody has a say yes to you story. But I left it up to her. I was like, what would you like to talk about? And she said she likes the idea of saying yes to a new mindset. She said, over the last year, my mindset on what healthy looks like has really changed. I love to talk more about that from both a physical and mental health aspect. And you guys know me. I was like, hell yeah, I am so down for that. Physical health, mental health, changing your mindset. So I'm super excited to talk to her today about saying yes to a new mindset. And something else that I also wanted to talk to her about specifically throughout our conversation is bipolar disorder. For those of you that don't know, I have recently been diagnosed with bipolar type 2 disorder. And throughout my life, I have always known that I have lived with generalized anxiety. A little bit later in my life, in like my teen years, um, started experiencing depression and recently when I've been quarantined at home, long story short, I've been talking to a therapist. I went to my primary care physician. They both started saying bipolar to me. My therapist recommended that I meet with a psychiatrist. I met with a psychiatrist. It was very quick. She was like, I think that you are experiencing bipolar type 2 symptoms and you should go on a mood stabilizer. And then my primary care physician recommended that I take an antidepressant. So right now I am taking an antidepressant and a mood stabilizer, but this isn't about me. I just wanted to talk to her more about her own personal experience with bipolar type 2 and kind of normalizing that and making sense of that because it's a new diagnosis to me. I always thought of myself as somebody that only lives with anxiety or only lives with anxiety and depression. I've never thought about bipolar or bipolar type 2. And when it was explained to me, I was at first really shocked and really confused, but then it started to make sense. But it's not a one-size-fits-all thing at the same time. So that's really why I wanted to talk to Desiree about that too and just hear her story, get her viewpoint on it. There is so much good stuff in store that is going to come from this conversation. So we're going to get started. All right, so I officially have Desiree with me. Desiree, thank you so much for being here today and coming on this podcast. I am so excited to have you. Of course. I'm so excited that you asked me to be on here. I just think it's super cool that this is going to be our first conversation and like have other people hear it. So, <laughs> Me too. No, I absolutely love that. So first off, who are you? What do you do? What makes you happy? What are you passionate about? Just give the lowdown on who you are and what makes you you. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Desiree Claiborne. Um, I am 26 years old. I'll be 27 in August. And I originally started out as a health and fitness influencer on Instagram. Um, I've been doing this for roughly five years. And for the vast majority of that time, my brand was lose weight, get thin, be skinny, be productive, like that super hyper motivated persona that we see a lot on Instagram and social media in general. And uh, while I was building my, my brand and my business, I was working at a hospital uh, in pharmacy, working in the ER, 
So I worked 12 hour night shifts, but I had seven days on and seven days off. So um, my weeks on, I didn't do a whole lot on Instagram, but on my weeks off, I would really dive into my social media and my fitness business full time and kind of run with it. And as that started to grow, I realized I could match my income working on social media, um, match my income that I was making at the hospital working on social media. So I left my full-time job at the hospital and became a full-time fitness influencer, which I thought was my dream. I was like, oh, my gosh, I get to work from home. I don't have to be go, go, go all the time. I can just really dive into, like, getting super fit, being healthy, being thin, <laughs> making money. Like, it's all I cared about. And what happened was um, pretty much instantly when I started working from home, I was from being go, 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 doing very sedentary, and I crashed really hard. So I fell into a really deep, dark depression. Um, I would go days at a time without being able to get, get out of bed. I couldn't shower. I couldn't, like, take care of myself. It, it, my husband would come home from work and look at the house, and there would be, like, dishes piling up in the sink, even though I'd been home all day and had plenty of time to clean it up. Um, the house would be trashed. I would be a mess. I usually be sitting on the couch or laying in bed in the same clothes I was in when he left that morning. And I just got really, really depressed. And I got to a point where I had to be hospitalized because I was suicidal. And actually, five years ago, I actually attempted to take my own life. So when I started to feel that way again, I was like, okay, this is serious. We need to, like, knock this out quick. So I spent an entire week in a partial inpatient mental health facility, um, which at that point I realized I was diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder, which I think you said that you have as well. Um, and at that point, my my why for life, like my reason for living totally shifted. It was no longer about being super thin and super successful. My purpose was to like survive. Like my day-to-day goal was to just be able to live and to not want to die or not want to lay in bed all day. And so I, I got on the right medications, got the right therapies, and I started to feel a lot better. But then with the new medications I was taking, I gained weight really, really quickly. So I I don't usually share my weight on social media, but I'll share it with you guys because um, the reason I don't share it is I don't want anybody to compare themselves to me. But I went from being 135 pounds to now 205 pounds, which is a huge jump. And um, in that time, I was also planning my wedding and trying to get my mental health under control and trying to be a fitness influencer, you know, 50 plus pounds overweight. And it was kind of daunting and kind of scary, but I've since kind of adapted and I've changed my mindset um, around fitness and what healthy looks like. And now my brand is really focused on body positivity, body acceptance, while still living a healthy lifestyle. Like I still exercise every single day. I eat fruits and vegetables every single day. I drink lots of water every single day. But I'm no longer obsessed with the scale. I'm no longer obsessed with having a six pack. My goal is to be the healthiest version of me that I can be and to learn to love myself where I'm at today so that maybe when I do lose weight or if I ever do lose weight again, 
I'll be able to love myself at that point as well. You have such an amazing story. So you were saying that like the way that you thought about living changed, like you are now like living to survive and not living to like be skinny and have a six pack. Can you talk about specifically what your mindset was like when you were trying to do it all and then your mindset now specifically and how that changed? Yeah, so um, I realize now that those, you know, two to three years when I was really obsessed with being thin and working out two to three times a day and eliminating carbs and really just focusing on physical success and financial success, uh, I realized that I was actually going through a really long manic episode. So that wasn't even like my real self. That was my, my mental illness. And one of the challenging things about diagnosing uh, bipolar 2 disorder is that, you know, people think of bipolar, they think of rapid mood swings, they think of like violence or angry people. And that's not at all the case with bipolar 2. It's hard to even notice because when we're manic, we're doing great. Or on paper, it looks like we're doing great. So I was very, very sick, but everyone around me was applauding me. The thinner I got, the more praise I got. The thinner I got, the more money I made because I was a health and fitness coach. I was proving people that I could help them lose weight. Um, the more money I made, the more confident I felt, obviously. I felt more secure financially, which made me feel more secure in other areas of my life. Um, so I just wanted to keep that going. It was like a, it was a high that I didn't want to let down. And I think it also stemmed from a lot of insecurities I had in my childhood because growing up, I was a chubby kid. So the fact that the first time in my life, I felt thin, I felt beautiful, I felt accepted, I felt important. And that just kind of, I guess, pushed my mania even further because all of my deepest insecurities were kind of being wiped away. So that's kind of where my mind was at the time. Can I ask you specifically, is your mania directly related to finances in one way or another? Uh, I think that my finances kind of directly correlate with my mania. Um, right now, my husband and I are trying to buy a house. I'm like, man, it'd be really great to be manic right now because I know I could like pump out a couple extra thousand dollars a month. But um, I think that it's definitely tied to it. Whenever I'm manic, I, for some reason, I think whenever I'm manic, I tend to latch on to like my biggest insecurities. And like growing up, I was really insecure about my, my finances because I grew up in a wealthy community, but I was a poor family in the wealthy community. So I always wanted to be more successful or wanted my family to be more successful to keep up with my friends at school. So finance was always one of my biggest insecurities. And my weight has always been one of my biggest insecurities. So I think whenever I'm manic, my, my big, I, I go into hyperdrive trying to overcome whatever my big insecurities are. My bipolar 2 diagnosis is still pretty new to me. So I'm in that like beginning phase of just trying to think back like when have there been times in my past when I was potentially experiencing hypomania and I feel like most of the time something financial like the aspect of like overspending or making like rash like rushed unthought out purposes falls into those time periods. It's funny, last night I was actually having a conversation with my boyfriend about how that related back to my childhood. And it has appeared in my 
teen years and adult years now too. It's also like what other feelings was I feeling? What other like sensations and thoughts and like how was I feeling when I was impulse buying? And then how did I feel a couple days or maybe shortly after I was impulse buying and I was also really happy and full of energy and felt like I could do anything and everything. When I was manic, I was making more than twice the income that, that I currently make right now. And I was always broke. <laughs> like I was making a ton of money and spending it faster than I could even make it. So even though I was doing well financially, bringing money in, it was all going out so quickly because as soon as I got it, I just like impulsively had to spend it. It's just like putting two and two together to try to make sense of everything. Yeah, definitely. How was like getting that diagnosis for you, the process of that? Like what was all of that like for you? Because personally for me, it was kind of like a shock and scary and I feel like I'm finally getting out of the shock, I guess pretty quickly because I really thrive off of being open and honest. So I'm trying to be open about it for me and also educate myself and just like come to terms with it and better understand it myself. But initially I was really shocked and kind of scared and confused and I was like, what does that mean? What's going on? So like, what were your initial feelings and how was all of that for you? Well, I think mine sounds pretty similar to you. I was very shocked at first, but I wasn't shocked for long. Like, I was shocked at first, and but then the more I started to learn about the diagnosis, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, I was shocked, but then I was like, oh, no, that's 100% me. And um, kind of the same thing, too, you said about, um, you know, wanting to be transparent, be honest, and, you know, be able to share your diagnosis um, with other people to maybe help them out. Um, I, I felt the same way. As soon as I found out, once the initial shock wore off, I was like, holy crap, I need to talk about this. So I'm, I'm pretty sure I went on social media like that day <laughs> and like told people like, hey, by the way, I'm bipolar and I'm going through some shit and my life sucks right now, but I'm going to take you guys on this journey with me while I figure it out and while I hopefully get better. But I really wanted to like share that with people because I know that from what my psychiatrist said, there are a lot of people who have bipolar disorder, either bipolar one or bipolar two, who have no idea because mental health isn't treated the same way as other traditional health care, uh, even though mental health is health care. Like, your mental health is just as important as, like, your heart health or your bone health or whatever other part of your body. I was talking to my boyfriend about diabetes last night, too. Like, we had, like, a whole mental health talk literally last night, but... Um, he was saying diabetes, how there's type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes and how those things are normalized and he just got certified in personal training and like those things are in his textbook. So he's learning about type 1 and type 2 diabetes and how to help a person with diabetes and like things like that are so normal. It's just like everywhere and it's like, oh, you're diabetic. Okay, get the help you need, whatever. But it's like type one and type two bipolar is like there's a negative connotation like oh this girl's crazy like I can't date her. I feel so grateful and fortunate that I'm married <laughs> because I couldn't imagine like going to the world right now of, like dating and then having to like come out to a date like hey by the way I have bipolar because when I told my husband I mean he was, my husband was very 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 supportive and we were actually planning our wedding in the middle of me finding out that I was bipolar <laughs> so that was a uh, really rough time but 
he was really supportive. But I just, I, for some reason, I thought back, I'm like, what if I was single right now? Like, what, what if I had to, like, go on dates and say, hey, by the way, I'm bipolar. Like, because I've seen it with friends. I've seen it happen with friends who've had, who have mental health issues. Um, and when they bring it up to a date, it's like, oh, no, I can't talk to her. She's crazy. But it's no different than, like, diabetes or, you know, a heart condition or anything else. I have been in a relationship for over a year, and I'm very lucky to be with somebody right now that accepts me for who I am. And I was having trouble with, like, trying to be open and honest about what I'm going through and some people kind of undermining you or not understanding, again, because of that stigma. So is that something that you went through with anybody else in your life? I was just like you. Like, I was like, this is real. This is so accurate. This is me. But then the more I started trying to explain it to other people and other people didn't understand it, then I was like, is this actually accurate? Like, I started questioning myself. And is that something that you went through as well at all? Um, definitely. Because... Um at that time, I was in the middle of planning my wedding, and at this point, I was no longer in the manic phase. I was in the very, very, very depressed phase, and it took a long time for me to get out of that part. Um, luckily, so I was diagnosed last April, and I got married in September, and luckily by September, I felt good on my wedding day, but um, in the wedding planning process, you know, originally, we were planning on having like 150 to 200 guests do something big with all of our families there. But at this point, I was struggling so badly. I'm like, honestly, I don't want anything more than like 30 or 40 people there. I only want my mom, my dad, my brothers, and my grandparents there, maybe a couple of friends, but that's it. And a lot of my family took that extremely personally. Um, I think there were, from what I've heard, just from speaking to my parents, there were family members who thought that I was being selfish or I didn't care about them or like they didn't understand why I didn't want to include them um, at my wedding. And it had nothing to do with that, but it had everything to do with my illness. I couldn't be around people. I couldn't wrap my mind around planning a day for that many people. I, I just, I didn't have the mental strength to do it. So I wanted to keep it small, wanted to keep it simple and wanted to make it as, as least stressful as possible. Um, I think now that I am better, or feeling, some, I mean, better for now, but it's a constant struggle. Now that I am better, I feel like I, I have an easier time explaining and educating people on what I'm going through. But while in the moment while I was sick, it was definitely hard for people to recognize that what I was going through was real. Because on the surface, I look fine, especially on social media, because I intentionally, I think we all do this, intentionally on social media, try to make it all look pretty, <laughs> you know? I try to, you know, it made my mental health journey look as appeasing and, you know, social media friendly as possible. But it was an ugly journey. It was dark. And uh, I think it, it, it's definitely been hard for a lot of people to actually understand that it's real. Can you just from your point of view, your knowledge, your experience, what is bipolar type 2 and what is the difference between type 1 and type 2? Yeah, for sure. So I always start by saying I am not a bipolar expert by any means. <laughs> I have the disorder, but I, I'm still learning about it too. Uh, I've only been diagnosed for a little over a year, so it's still pretty new to me. But um, basically bipolar 2, bipolar disorder in general is 
um, classified by a combination of manic episodes and depressive episodes, one one or the other lasting, I think, for two or more weeks at a time. So a manic episode is when you're usually go, 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 hyperspending, sexual promiscuity, maybe possibly violent behavior, um, just really high energy, insomnia, um, intrusive thoughts. Because I've talked about it loads with my therapist, my own understanding of type one and mania is that the manic episode has to last for at least a week and the hypomania episodes in type two from my understanding have to only last four days and then in type one it's not necessary to experience a depressive episode to receive a diagnosis but in type two it is necessary to experience at least one depressive episode of at least two weeks in length and then the hypomanic episode for at least four days in order to um, qualify for a diagnosis and proper treatment. That was a beautiful explanation. <laughs> but I think um, one thing that I, I do want to tag on to that is um, something that my psychiatrist said to me um, when he was explaining the difference between type 1 and type 2. Um, he said what a lot of people are going to tell you and, and the most common thing you're going to hear is that type 2 bipolar is the less severe version. That's what a lot of people say, oh, I have the less severe version of bipolar. And he, he asked me then, he's like, well, what do you think it's worth? Having an illness where you know you're sick or having an illness where you can't even tell you're sick? And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> he's like, even though the, the symptoms may not be as severe as like the psychotic episodes, he's like, it's really hard to tell when someone has bipolar 2 disorder because it just looks like they're doing great. <laughs> and um, it's usually not until the depressive episodes that you realize that there's actually a real problem there. I just thought that was interesting. Like, a lot of people say, oh, you have the less severe version. I'm like, yeah, but I've had this for a long time because I couldn't tell I had it. That is 100% something that I went through and why my thing right now is like, I only thought I had anxiety. I only thought I had depression. But now that the discussion for bipolar and that world has been opened up to me and completely resonates with me, it's, com it's switched my mindset to realize like my baseline has always been mixed with anxiety and my low lows have been depression but what about the highs that were above my baseline but what i'm saying is that until i started to understand that i thought i just dealt with depression basically because i experienced more than a few depressive episodes throughout the past couple of years and i just thought it was normal or seasonal affective disorder to cycle in and out of seasons where you feel really great and then baseline anxious and then okay i'm just depressed for a couple weeks again like i just deal with depression i'll just take a medication for depression but none of the medications for anxiety and depression were working so is that something that you went through too where you like thought you were just dealing with depression at one point a hundred percent um in fact if anyone is listening to this and you deal with mental health issues, I emphatically beg you to see a psychiatrist because I went years to my primary care physician. Not to say that I didn't have a great family doctor. She's amazing. But she was not as in tune with the different mental health diagnoses. So she I am so happy you're saying that right now because I went through the same thing too. Yeah, and I think so many family doctors just put a label on it, like, oh, that's anxiety, or oh, that's depression, here's a Zoloft, or here's a, you know, a Celexa, and 
that's how I almost killed myself. I was on the wrong medication for the wrong diagnosis, and it made me suicidal. And I almost took my own life five years ago. And I don't think that would have happened had I gotten the correct diagnosis and been on the correct medication. So if you're listening to this and you think you've got something going on, go see a psychiatrist. But I will also say we also have a bigger issue in this country is that it's hard to get mental health help. Uh, when I was looking for a psychiatrist, everyone local to me at like, the best hospitals had like a six-month to a year wait to get in to see an actual psychiatrist. And I was like, I can't wait that long. I'm not going to be alive six months from now if I have to wait. Like, I was that terrified. I was like, I cannot wait six months to see a doctor. So I live in Ohio uh, in between Toledo and Columbus, and I drove all the way to Grand Rapids, Michigan. She has my friend. She also has bipolar disorder. She convinced her psychiatrist to start seeing me, even though she wasn't taking on new patients. She convinced her psychiatrist to start seeing me. But if it weren't for that, I don't know that I would still be here because the wait list for so many psychiatrists is so, so long. I don't know how I got as lucky as I did. Like, I think the stars just aligned for me because after talking with my therapist for a while and talking about, well, I mean, first of all, my primary care physician was also the first one to say, you might be dealing with bipolar because I was feeling depressed again for a week or more in quarantine and I went to my doctor and I was like I think I might need to try medication again because I tried a bunch of different medications and I also wanted to get blood work so I got the blood work done and then I went back and we went over my blood work I got done all the vitamin levels thyroid all that stuff I was like maybe it's a vitamin deficiency maybe it's something with my thyroid because my mom has thyroid issues so that could be running in our family got the blood work done the only thing that was off was my vitamin d level and it wasn't even like dangerously low it was just like a little bit low like start taking vitamin d um, supplements every day to bring it up to par and that's when we got to the point where she was looking through all of my um, paperwork for my past visits and just kind of going over all the anxiety and depression medications that I've tried and how nothing worked for me. If anything, it made it worse or it made me feel like a zombie. It just made me feel tired. So she was like, I'm going to put you on Pristique, which is like the last option for an antidepressant. And it's newer than other medications that you've tried. Just try taking 50 milligrams of that. And that was making my depression better. But I knew that it wasn't doing the full job. And that's when my therapist in one of our weekly virtual appointments, which again, so lucky I get to do that in quarantine. um, She said, you should reach out to a psychiatrist. And she gave me a list of people. She knows my insurance. So she found somebody in network for me that said that she would meet with me virtually within two weeks. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. If anyone listening to this is also still in quarantine right now or if you're in the green phase yet whatever but there's a lot of um, therapists and psychiatrists that are doing things virtually so I give you mad props for driving all the way to meet with somebody and that is next level dedication to yourself and your health and your life like that is absolutely amazing but fortunately for people right now if you can meet with someone virtually or like talk to your primary care physician, find out who is in your insurance that you could possibly get 
covered or not have to spend a lot of money for because that was another thing with me whenever I have to spend a lot of money makes me really anxious so the thought of spending like 300 bucks on like one virtual appointment for like 45 minutes I was like I can't bring myself to do that I'm just gonna put it off Um, so I found somebody in network and a lot of people are doing things virtually right now so you might not even have to leave your bed to meet with your psychiatrist for the first time if that's at all possible there's a lot of people that aren't wanting you to come into their office just yet and may have more availability because things are being done through telehealth and like virtually yeah and actually um that was my biggest fear too or my biggest anxieties was like how am i going to pay for all this care because i went inpatient which was very expensive the medication that i take is very expensive and i at that time i was still on my parents insurance but i just turned 26 and i had the anxiety of like holy crap i'm about to be kicked off my insurance i'm self-employed i don't have benefits <laughs> what am i going to do so um if anybody finds yourself in that situation um what i ended up doing which has worked really great for me so far is i got a part-time job at starbucks um, not to plug Starbucks or anything, but they they take care of people with what comes to their health very, very well, especially mental health. Um, you don't have to work full time. I work at Starbucks part time just for the insurance, and it covers all the mental health benefits, all my prescriptions, therapy, everything. Like everything is very well covered, super low copays. And it's, I think Starbucks and like Costco are two, like two, two of very few employers who give really great benefits to part-time employees. So I mean, if you already have a full-time job that you love, maybe you can pick up a couple extra hours at like a Starbucks or a Costco and get that really good health insurance because um, trying to tackle your mental health without insurance or with really bad insurance is going to be just as defeating as not tackling it at all because it, it does get expensive and it does get hard. You are so right that if the cost is too expensive for a lot of people, again, if you're already dealing with something, sometimes the cost can unfortunately outweigh the reward because it will just make you more anxious or more sad or you just can't afford it. So that is an amazing idea. I'm so happy you said that. So I feel like we talked a lot about bipolar and bipolar type 2, and I'm so happy that we did because I really wanted to talk about that and kind of normalize that and just have somebody that also deals with the mental illness talk about their experience with it. So I'm so happy that we talked about that. And I want to dive more into your health and fitness journey now. And because you decided to put your mental health first, you also had to shift your mindset and change the way you were doing things there. So can you tell a little bit more about your story with reversing the way that you think and the way that you go about things and all of that? Yeah, so I'm going to start out by saying it's been a challenge. (laughs) Like, it's been really, really hard going from somebody who was obsessed with being thin to now being, I mean, technically overweight. Like, my BMI is considered overweight. I, I mean, I feel fine. I know I have healthy habits, but... I'm technically overweight, and for me, that's, like, a scary thing to say out loud or to admit to because I've put so much shame in my weight and my body image. So, um, honestly, so the weight gain was completely involuntary. The medications that I initially started taking made me gain weight literally in days. Um, I I actually remember because I 
after my first day of like my partial inpatient program, you stay there all day and then you go home at night. Um, after my first day, I like treated myself to a little mini shopping trip as like my reward for getting help. So I went shopping and bought myself like a bunch of really cute outfits. Within two weeks, none of those, none of those outfits fit anymore. So um, at that time, oh I was taking Abilify and Lamictal, and both of those, I think, um, I know Abilify for sure has a really strong weight gain side effect. Could I ask how many milligrams of Abilify you started and Lamictal? How many did you start out with? What was the process of finding if that worked for you or not? And then like upgrading your dose. What was all of that like? So the Abilify and the, and the Lamictal worked pretty well at first initially. I think, uh, I want to say I was on three milligrams, five milligrams. Of, I don't know. I was on a really low dose of Abilify. And then the Lamictal, I started out at um, 100 milligrams. You had to taper up. So I technically started at 25 milligrams and tapered up to 100 milligrams. And um, the it worked for a while. Like my... My depression had kind of faded. My, my mood just felt really stable because they're mood stabilizers. They're not like antidepressants. They're like anti-mania. They're just a mood stabilizer to keep you within your baseline. So I definitely felt that for a while. But because so much of my self-worth was tied into my body image, even though mentally on a chemical level I was getting better, my self-esteem was dropping really, really quickly which is like triggering even more depression. So um, after that, I came off the Abilify. The Abilify also made me really, really tired. So it was hard to be motivated to work out when I could barely wake up every day. So I came off the Abilify. And for the record, this is just my experience. I never want to like say I recommend or don't recommend a certain medication because every medication interacts with people completely differently. So Abilify could be someone else's dream medication. I just started Abilify. I haven't been on it for too long, but I started out taking um, 50 milligrams of Pristique. That's the antidepressant in the morning and two milligrams to start out with of Abilify at night. And my psychiatrist said, as long as you don't experience any noticeable side effects, like it was like restless legs, like things that like I would notice in my day to day unless you don't experience any side effects, then we're going to increase the dose to five milligrams and go from there. But personally for me, like as you were saying, it made you really tired. I was literally like, oh, huh. Because I mean, I just started it, but I haven't experienced that yet. Like I experienced quick, noticeable, extreme fatigue with a lot of the antidepressants I've tried. Like I remember fluoxetine was one that I was taking a couple of months ago. And that just like made me so tired and drowsy and that wasn't for me. But I mean, just like bipolar itself, it's not a one size fits all thing. And I think that's so fascinating is that bipolar type one, type two, the whole shebang, like everybody deals with it differently. So everybody also deals with medication and the effects of medication differently as well. For sure, for sure, yeah. The ability to be very, very tired, very, very tired, I mean, can't even, explain how tired <laughs> but so I eventually came off of that and tried I think it was just Lamictal for a while and that worked for a little bit and then it didn't then we upped the dose and that worked for a bit and then it didn't and then my psychiatrist um, gave, prescribed a new medication it's called Raylar 
And it's actually, it was actually originally intended for schizophrenia, but it's also approved for bipolar 2 disorder. I don't know why. <laughs> like, I don't know, like, how like, the two correlate, but um, it's been amazing. It's worked really well for me. And then I just, I stopped taking the Lamictal, and I just take Raylar for my, um, for my bipolar. But um, with the health and fitness side of things, um, the rapid weight gain um, was hard, and, and, and it really affected my self-esteem. But I think it, it was also not, not just the medication that caused it, but the fact that I was no longer manic. Um, I don't gain weight as rapidly as I did when I first started taking medication, but I also don't lose it as quickly as I used to. Because when I was manic, I was go, go, go all the time. And, like, it was like my body was like a furnace. It was just, like, burning energy constantly, and I was constantly doing something, and that's how I kept my weight off. But now, like, I don't – now I'm at a healthy speed. You know, I'm not, like, going 100 miles a minute. So it's hard for me to lose weight. Like, I used to be able to lose, like, five pounds in a week or faster. Like, if I told myself to lose five pounds, I think I could do it this week. Now I'm lucky if I lose five pounds in a month. I'm like, five pounds a month, that was great. But um, it really took um, me instilling a practice of self-love for me to realize that I have to love myself in this body right here where I'm at today before I can try to get down to any other size. Because if I don't love myself right now today, I'm not going to love myself 50 pounds lighter. And I know that's an experience because when I was 130 pounds, I still thought I had 10 pounds to lose. And I look at pictures now and I'm like, holy shit, I looked sick then. Like, I can't imagine 10 pounds later. But at that point, I, I, I was obsessed with being thinner and thinner and thinner. So it really took me getting comfortable with who I am right now to kind of shift my mindset with my health and fitness journey. So now it's not about being thin. It's not about losing a specific number of pounds. It's about treating my body right. And if I lose weight, great. And if I don't, that's okay too, because I love myself where I'm at. And if I know my habits are good, that's all that matters. So I exercise every day. I drink 120 ounces of water every day. I eat fruits and vegetables at every single meal every day. But I also eat cake. I also love pizza. I'll also have a cocktail. So I treat myself and deprive myself. I don't cut up carbs like I used to, but I make sure I'm getting the stuff that I need before I get the things that I want. And that's how I know that I'm at least taking care of the health side of things. And then as far as the aesthetic, I have had this practice. It, it took a long time for it to actually work, but now it's finally working. Um, every day I would wake up, look in the mirror, completely naked, and I would compliment myself. I would say, my body is strong. My body is beautiful. I love my new curves. Like I had to pick out parts of my body that I love now because it, it, it was changing really quickly in a lot of weird, awkward ways. I, I have a ton of stretch marks now that I didn't have before, lumps and rolls and dimples in places I didn't have before. And those are the things that we notice when we look in the mirror. We, we notice all the imperfections. So instead of picking out those imper imperfections, I started picking out the things that I did like. I really like the fact that I have boobs now. I really like my butt. I love the shape of my body. I, so I, I typically remind myself and say it over and over again, 
my body is strong, my body is beautiful, I love my new curves, and I had to repeat it over and over and over again until it became true. What kept you grounded and centered in embarking on that journey instead of just trying to lose the weight that you gained and being stuck in your old mindset? Number one, I think a lot of it had to do with like my health and fitness clients, basically kind of turned myself into my own client. And I was always way harder on myself than I was to the people who paid me to get results. So if one of my clients came to me and said, oh, I look so sad, I hate my body, I'd say, girl, you're beautiful. But it doesn't matter. Like, that's not, that's not why you're here. You're here to get healthy, not to be a size two. So I had to, like, take the advice that I'd give to other people and apply it to myself. Um, another thing is I do a lot of personal development. I listen to something that's positive or something that's going to change my life in some way every single morning. Um, I wake up at 4 a.m. every single day. I take all my meds, put my headphones in, listen to an audiobook or a podcast, something positive, something uplifting, and I do that for about an hour every single day. So I think that has a huge thing to do with it. It's like filling your mind with positivity. If somebody just heard you say that you do that every morning and they're like, oh, I want to start doing that or I want to start doing that at least a couple of days a week, which I couldn't recommend more because I think more than a few of us are guilty of getting up in the morning, opening your eyes, grabbing your phone and scrolling on social media for 30, 40, 50. Like then you're like, oh, my gosh, it's already 11 a.m. What? Where did the time go? If you wake up in the morning and open Instagram first. I promise you, you're going to feel worse about yourself. You have to, like, you have to, have to, have to make yourself the first priority of your day. Center yourself so that all that negativity on the internet, you have the strength to knock that out. All the comparison on Instagram, you have the mental strength to not pay attention to that. Because if, if that's the first thing that's going to your mind, I promise you, you're going to have self-esteem issues. The really good book I love is called Mastering Your Mean Girl by... Melissa Ambrosini. Another one is Girl Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. Let's see. You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. The, the Four Agreements. Actually, that one is probably my absolute favorite. For anyone that deals with mental health issues, um, The Four Agreements, 100%. Um, who's that by? I'm just thinking from the author. I don't know. Oh, it's by Don Miguel Ruiz. The Four Agreements. I highly, highly, highly recommend that book. It talks about how the things that you say about yourself are things that you agree to. So if someone says, oh, you're fat, well, do you agree with that? Like, are, by, by you saying that, that, that's you agreeing to that fact. That's, that's you making it true. So I refuse, to, like, I, I refuse to make negative words about myself true. So um, I really like that book. There's a lot. There, my Audible list, I... I get like two or three books a month and I'm just constantly listening to something positive that's going to make me feel better about myself. I absolutely love that. And I think along with mental health, that has to be destigmatized in itself. Like that I'm so huge on that. Like you don't have to be like broken or hitting rock bottom in your life to get help. Like your world doesn't have to be shit in order to start making it better. And it's the same thing with personal development books. You don't have to be a mental health guru or whatever stigma you have in your head in order to read personal development books, listen to the audios, listen to podcasts. Like that is just a positive habit for any human to implement into their life. And again, just supplement 
what you're doing in the morning and add in this instead and do it for 30 days. And there you go. It's a new habit. <laughs> and actually speaking of new habits, the book um, called Atomic Habits by James Clear is also really, really great too. That's, that was the one that like got me back on track of working out because for all of 2019, I could not work out, um, which was hard as a health and fitness coach. <laughs> I just did not ha- – I was so depressed. I couldn't muster up the energy to work out. There would be some days where I would tell my husband, I'm like, okay, when you get home, force me to work out with you, even if it's for five minutes. And there would be times I would break down crying in the middle of our workout because I just felt like I couldn't do it. So um, Atomic Habits by James Clear really helped me get back in the groove of my fitness, get back in the groove with my, with my business, back in the groove with just my healthy life habits overall. Um, and it's one that I listen to over and over again as much as possible because it's a really good book. I've literally experienced the same thing, like to the point where I Googled, I kid you not, over the summer, I Googled, why do I always want to cry after working out? Like, I was still caught in that warp of like pushing myself to do really intense workouts. And physically and mentally, my body just never agreed with it. I was like going through the motions of an old habit, but that old habit was just no longer serving me. It was like releasing built up emotions inside of me that I wouldn't allow myself to release any other time. But how did you overcome that period where you, was it the book? Like what else helped you overcome the period where you didn't want to work out at all? And how did you transform yourself into a person that wakes up at 4 a.m. and works out every day? That's not, that's not every human. (laughs) Um, okay, so I think that all kind of happened by accident, like accidentally on purpose. So um, the meds helped. So when I first started taking my meds, they made me super, super tired. So I was falling asleep naturally at like 730 at night. <laughs> and then naturally, I started waking up at four o'clock in the morning. And after a while, that was naturally happening because of my meds. I was like, I actually kind of like this routine. So even though I no longer take the Abilify that makes me super tired, I still try to go to bed super early. I plan out my day. I I write down everything I have to do every single day on a notebook. I plan out my day every single morning, and I try to end it by 7 p.m. And I'm in bed no later than 9 o'clock every day. But if I'm done with my day, I will gladly go to bed at 7.30, and my body will now naturally wake up at 4.30 in the morning. Um. If you're not, if that sounds so impossible and you're like, oh, okay, cool, just naturally wake up at 4 a.m., sure, Desiree. Um, another thing that I recommend is called a nappuccino. And I learned about this from, I was doing this already, but I, I guess the nappuccino, I, I heard that term from a book called Fear is Your Homeboy. But basically, what you do is you wake up. In my case, I take my meds. I, I also have ADHD, so I take Adderall. I take my Adderall. I drink my coffee as soon as I wake up and then I lay down on the couch and while I'm listening to my audiobooks, I kind of shut my eyes and I'm like half awake, half listening to a book. But then within an hour, that caffeine, that Adderall kicks in and bam, I'm good to go. So if you aren't described Adderall, I do not recommend abusing it and like taking that, but, but just even like a cup of coffee, like wake up, have your caffeine, drink yourself a cup of coffee. If you work out, drink your pre-workout, then put your headphones in, listen to an audiobook, get cozy on the couch. I have like twinkle lights in my living room window. 
and I like to watch the sunrise every morning. And while I'm doing that, it gives me like an hour, hour and a half to just wake up. And that's why I love waking up at 4 a.m. versus like 5 or 6 is that I have like that buffer time to like really spend an hour waking up instead of like, oh, wake up, it's 5 a.m., I have to get my workout in, and I'm going to get it done at all this morning. Like, I give myself a lot of time to wake up in the morning. I love that because I enjoy waking up early, but I have a hard time. I mean, honestly, my medication has been helping me get up earlier too, not not the 4 a.m. club, but I've been getting up earlier and feeling naturally energized earlier, but early for me is like 6.30 or 7, but I see people that do get up to watch the sunrise every day, and I'm like, how do they do that? And you just gave me the key to unlock a new way to try to do that. I am going to do the nappuccino, and I'm so hype. So can you talk a little bit, aside from the amazing nappuccino, of what your life is like now and living with bipolar type 2 is that something that you think about every day is your weight something that you think about every day or because you've done so much work and you are what you would call quote unquote better now at least for right now are these things just like you don't really think about them anymore well i definitely still think about them i still get quite a bit of anxiety um which is probably something i need to address with my psychiatrist but um i, I still get quite a bit of anxiety in a way that I'd never gotten it before. So that's a whole new thing I need to tackle. But um, I think it's something that I, I'll always have to deal with and always have to think about and be conscious of, um, especially when making like big decisions in my life. You know, I just got married. So now we're talking about buying a house and having a baby and getting a dog and like all these big committal things. And I have to like stop and ask myself, wait, am I doing this because I'm manic and impulsive or am I doing this because I genuinely want to? So my husband is a really great support system in that he doesn't let me just jump right into things. Um, you know, I told him, I said, okay, let's buy a house. He's like, okay, let's take our time. No rush. We don't have to move tomorrow. And I'm over here like, let's move tomorrow. <laughs> so I think having a support system is very, very helpful. Um, sharing what I'm going through honestly and transparently with other people helps keep me grounded. Um, I'm not perfect. My recovery hasn't been perfect. There are still days where I feel a little down and some days I feel a little high step, but for the most part, I'm at a pretty good baseline. Life is good. Life is different though. I, I will say um, I'm still in the morning process of my manic episodes. I really miss them. Um, and that's something that I've heard is really common with bipolar, especially bipolar two is that you miss those hypomanic episodes because you've got a lot of things done. Like, I can't jam-pack my days the way I used to be able to. I can't accomplish things as quickly as I used to be able to. So I have to give myself grace and recognize that I am performing and achieving things at a normal rate, not at a hypomanic rate. And um, it's different, but I do feel a lot better overall. And I think the people around me feel a lot better, which is, I think important as well. I was listening to a podcast today and it said people are genetically predisposed and then an environmental factor can trigger your bipolar disorder. I heard that and I was like writing things down that like resonated with me because not everything resonated with me but that's something that was and you saying like buying a house and my boyfriend has been catching that too like 
saying let's not make any rash decisions with things like you might feel really good thinking about this idea to do x y or z right now but let's like think it over give it a little bit of time don't jump into anything too quickly so i definitely relate to that too and it's so helpful to have somebody that knows and understands and will like recognize and that's what i'm saying hey let's just slow down a little bit let's think about this a little bit instead of cutting me off and saying no we can't do that so i think if you if you are dealing with someone who's bipolar i think it, you have to be mindful of how you interact with them and when they do get excited about things if there is somebody out there listening to this podcast right now and resonates with things that you're saying resonates with um, I feel like I might be dealing with bipolar. I feel like I might be living with a mental illness. I feel like I'm gaining weight and it's uncontrollable, but I'm having a hard time loving myself. What would you like to say to those people? Whatever it is you're going through, you're going to get through it, but you have to be, you have to be willing to go through this in order to get through it. You have to be willing to go through the tough times. You have to be willing to feel some shit you don't want to feel and you have to give yourself grace you're not perfect nobody expects you to be perfect as much as I I know for me I I created this narrative in my head that everyone around me was expecting certain things from me and it couldn't have been further from the truth so take take off some of that expectation take off some of that pressure and just do the best you can today, be the best you can today, and just focus on loving yourself. And it's like, it all boils down to love. If you can love yourself, you can love yourself through your struggles. So, so don't beat yourself up if you're having a manic episode. Don't beat yourself up if you can't get out of bed to take a shower. Don't beat yourself up if you've gained 50 pounds in what seems like two days. Love yourself right now. Love yourself where you're at. And slowly but surely things will start to turn around that was beautiful i think self-love is so important and that's something that also needs to be normalized and talked about more i think that i've asked you everything that i wanted to ask you and talk about is there anything else that you would like to talk about you would like to cover while we have the time and before we wrap things up the only thing i did want to mention is just that in listening to your other podcast episodes i felt like i really connected to you um on a few different things like being an empath and like, especially right now with everything going on, like the world just feels so heavy and it's like exhausting to, to turn on the news or to turn on social media. Like, can you feel all the emotions of people around you? Um, so, and, and I, I really liked your episode about um, being human. Uh, and, and I like how you use that word versus saying like imperfect. Um, and I think that really ties into what all, everything we talked about today is just, you're human. You're not imperfect. You're not flawed. You're not damaged goods. Like you're human. We all have things that are different about us, but these are things that make us special. Like if you ask me, like, do you wish you weren't bipolar? I would say no. Like I'm, I love being bipolar because while yes, it's, it is the cause of a lot of my weaknesses, it's also one of my superpowers. Like I can do some really cool things because of my disorder. So I don't really like calling it disorder. Like it's my superpower. I'm a little different. I think a little different. I see the world a little differently. I interact with people a little bit differently. And I think that's cool. I never get to hear 
like feedback verbally like that about somebody that specifically resonated with like X, Y, and Z and really got something out of it. So that means more to me than you could know. And also my thing is like putting my podcast out there. I hope that I am just connecting with and inspiring at least one person. Like if I only get like three views and one of those three views or listens or whatever inspires one person, like that's all I'm asking. So you're that one person for that episode and that just makes me feel amazing. So thank you for that. I was the one. (laughs) You were the one. And I think that I wanted to cover that because that is really important that we are human and we have to be honest about our awkward and embarrassing stories. I'll put you on the spot and one with that. What is one story that came to mind as you were listening to that episode that makes you human? Yeah, so the one thing that really resonated with me was like stupid lies so that you would feel less embarrassed. So when I was in elementary and middle school, I I mentioned before, like I grew up in a very affluent neighborhood, but I was, I was the poor kid. Like I, everyone else, like their moms and dads were like doctors and lawyers and like my parents didn't even graduate high school. Not knocking them, my parents are awesome and they're the hardest working people I know. When I was in elementary and middle school, I lived in a small trailer park with my mom and my brother and I would go to school and I, I never wanted anyone to know that I lived in a trailer. I was like, oh my God, they can't know that I'm poor. Like as if like the clothes I'm wearing from Meyer didn't give it away, but I'm like, they can't know I'm poor. So um I remember one day, one of my friends was like, hey, like, I saw you. Do you live in that trailer park? And I was like, oh, um, yeah. So my mom is building a house right now. And this is our temporary home. Like, what kind of stupid lie is that? Why can't I just be like, yeah, I live there. That's where, yeah, that's where we live. <laughs> my parents aren't doctors. Sorry. But I was like, oh, yeah, we're like, we're in the process of building a house. So we just live there temporarily. And I'm like, why did I say that? <laughs> why does it matter? Like, why can't I just, like, I'm human. I'm a different kind of human than you, and I live differently than you, and that's okay. Literally, that's exactly what I was going to say, is that, like, the space that you live in doesn't make you any more or less of a person, honestly, but it just shows that you've grown now that you can tell me that story on the spot and also look at yourself and be like, why did I lie about that? Because now, as the person you are now, you wouldn't lie about something like that, so... That just shows your growth, your internal growth right there. Well, the last thing that I just want to make sure we plug here is if people resonated with you, think you're amazing like I do, and they want to connect with you on social media or just reach out to you somehow, um, what is your social media platforms and how can people connect with you? Yeah, so you can connect with me. I'm primarily on Instagram. Um, Instagram is Desiree Claiborne, D-E-S-I-R-A-E-C-L-A-Y-B-O-R-N. You can also find me on Facebook, or you can find me on Snapchat, which is Desi, D-E-S-I, Nicole Fit, F-I-T. But if you, I know there's a point where I need someone to talk to when I was struggling, so if I can be that person for anybody else, I am more than happy to be that person for you. Thank you so much for talking with me today. This conversation could not have went better, and I am so excited for other people to hear this and benefit from it and hopefully at least give you a follow just to stay connected with you and have your positive face on the feed of their everyday life because I think a lot of people need to hear your message. They need to be connected to more people that are like you and have the mindset and outlook that you have on life right now. Well, thank you. And honestly, thank you again so, so much for having me on here. When you first asked me, I was like, oh my God, like I I look at your page, I'm like, 
she's so cool and she's so cute and adorable. Why does she want to talk to me? And it was like my inner mean girl just like talking, trying to talk me out of it. But I'm so glad I talked to you and I hope we stay connected and stay friends because I feel like we have so much in common and I just absolutely adore you for this. Honestly, how adorable is she? I had so much fun recording this episode and I really hope that you got something out of it. Please, if you made it this far, screenshot this episode and put it on your Instagram story. Give me a tag at JustAngeMarie. Feel free to give Desiree a tag too as well. Let us know that you listened to this episode. Feel free to share something that you enjoyed, something that you got out of it. Also, send me a direct message if you need somebody to talk to. I am all about mental health right now, and I talk to people day in and day out about mental health, wellness, fitness, all of the above. Desiree does too. We would love to talk to you, and I hope that you have a great rest of your Friday or whatever day it is that you're listening to this episode. I will be back next Friday with something new. Talk to you soon. Bye.